0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. We're in Romans chapter 9, and I want to encourage all of you to realize that this is about the most intense section of Scripture. Uh, If you think of many of the battles in the church between Arminians and Reformed, this chapter of Romans is us sitting at the front of the roller coaster train, the front car, the front of the front car, and we're just cresting the highest point and we're about to dive. And what we're hitting now is the most explicit intense teaching there is in scripture on the powerlessness of man and the power of God. Or another way of saying it is that not all Israel is Israel, that not all Jews are Jews, that not all children are children, that not all descendants are descendants. Okay? Okay? And the way we're approaching this issue is to go through the, um, the way we're approaching this issue is to go through the issue of the Jews as God's covenant people, and I want to—I want to encourage you, exhort you, command you. Let me, instead of encouraging, let me command you. You listen up. Charles Stanley always says it. Why can't I listen? if you've ever heard him preach, he's like, now listen. Martin Lloyd-Jones always said, this is maybe the most important truth in all of scripture, which was his way of saying listen. And so I'm just gonna say, listen, be teachable, submit to this teaching of God. Do not stiff arm it, okay? You're gonna wanna stiff arm it. Don't do that. And it's gonna get worse before it gets better, okay? Romans 9 is intense. All right, let's hear the word of God as it's written for us in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 to 9. This is the word of God. It's eternally true. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul has a difficult work before him, and he's already started the work back in chapter 2 near the beginning of his letter, where he wrote this. He said, "'For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter.' And his praise is not from men, but from God. So here back in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul began the work that he's taking on intensely in chapter 9. And this work is making a distinction between being an outward Jew and an inward Jew, making a decision between outward circumcision and inward circumcision. Now, here is our, our error, here is our mistake. We want to make religion a matter of externals. Don't touch this, don't wear that, don't eat this, don't drink that, don't go here, don't work there, this group is good, that group is bad. Live in the city, live in the country, raise chickens, raise cows, or if you're uh Dwayne, raise goats, paper or plastic, and this is the world's religion. It's what we would call petty morality. It has no foundation in the character and law of God. And that's the entire point. Everybody wants to be religious. Everybody wants to be moral. Everybody wants to claim that they're better than the next guy. And so either you live by God's big rules or you manufacture an infinite number of small ones that you're very careful to keep, all right, and that puts you in the pecking order above your next door neighbor who may be a Christian and may be faithful to his marriage vows and you may be in a lesbian relationship with your partner next door, but because you bring your own canvas bag to the grocery store and wear your masks, you know that you're superior. So we all want to do certain things that mark us physically as being superior to other people. And so the worldlings have an endless variety of petty rules that they keep that make them feel they're better. All right? And even roofers and sheetrockers have their, you know, all their rules that they keep that in their case, they wouldn't say better people, they'd say make them men because for men, being a man is as good as you can get. You know? I miss having Glenn here, Rachel's uh, deceased husband, because he would always sit right there. And having been a member of the union, the National Brotherhood of Railway and Traffic Car Workers, you know, when I was a young man, I'd think about the union all the time. Well, what is it? What's the morality with the union? Well, the morality with the union is you hate management. You're completely cynical and despise management. Okay. And that's your morality. You're either management or you're union. There's no meeting in the middle. And I remember the day I was, you know, for 15 years or so, I had weekly lunch down at Pizza Hut South with Jay Lee. And Jay Lee was a bullheaded man. And every single lunch, he improved me. He told me what I was doing wrong. Every single lunch for 15 years, every week. So you multiply it out. And the thing I was always doing wrong was actually my preaching. I I was doing everything else right, you'll be happy to know, but my preaching was awful. Well, he never said awful. He just said, I, I didn't know what the people needed, right? And so I had his hard head, hitting my hard head, every week for 15 years. Okay? You all with me? And one day he told me that his roofers were union. And I had never known that. And the rest of that lunch, I could not stop giggling. I just, I, I just kept laughing and laughing and laughing. Why? Well, just the idea of Jay sitting at a table with the union rep. I mean, it was like satisfying to me. You know, that Jay Lee had to plead with anybody. You know... Imagine your husband, strong-willed, stiff-necked, stubborn, and all of a sudden, he is management and he has to deal with the union. You know, wouldn't that be like slightly encouraging? We all have our standards. We all have the things that we believe are the allegiances that make us good. Okay? You understand this. And they're very different, you know. Women have different standards of being a good mother, good wife, good career woman. Men have different standards. They vary by whether you're in the city or in the country. They vary by what state you're in. All of us have these petty moralities, petty rules that we follow that sign to the people we care about that we're good people, right? You all with me? Now, the minute you become religious, the nature of these rules change, and that's one of the problems. If a roofer comes to faith, that roofer is immediately confronted with the fact that all of a sudden his moral system, what makes him good in church, is not necessarily what makes him good on the roof. Okay? And so they begin to have to work, you know, uh, through which trumps which is being a sheetrock or Trump being a Christian or not, right? You with me? And so, for instance, unions are always Democrat. But you go to church, and all of a sudden, there's Republicans everywhere, you know, right? And so you have to process these identity things and what makes you moral and immoral. You all with me? And when you go into the church, generally the big laws of God, his character and his laws, begin to be important to you. And so all of a sudden, instead of being important by showing the men that you can bet any, any woman, okay, that you're a real man, you know, you can get any woman you want. All of a sudden you come to church and they say, don't commit adultery. And you're like, wait a second, I have to give up my identity? You know, among men of a certain type, you know, betting a woman is the way that you prove you're superior. You all watch movies about this stuff all the time, so don't give me blank looks like you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Come on. And so you come into church, and all of a sudden the rules get a little bit heavier and more spiritual, and those rules are like no wine in communion or, or wine in communion. You know, those rules are, uh, we don't baptize babies. We baptize babies. Those rules are, um, you know, don't, don't cut your hair and every one of you go out and get a denim skirt. Right? The rules are, um, talk about what a godly husband you have because we submit to our men. Okay? And they're all still externals. I'm not saying there isn't any internal reality. I'm not saying there can't be spiritual motives for arguing every elders' meeting for how many years that we should have wine and communion as David did. You know, his patron saint was Jude, you know, the hopeless cases, you know. For years, David would make motions that we'd have wine and communion, you know. Sure, it was, it was based in scripture and had spiritual. You see, you come into the church, and all of a sudden, a lot of the things that distinguish between us and make some of us better than others is that we brag about how our husband's such a godly man, or we wear skirts, or, and, and, and again, there's superficial morality. I'm not saying it's not good to baptize babies. But my point is we continue to have our identity in things that are superficial, that are skin deep. It's just that they become religious things we do. Then you get serious about your religion and you you exchange those things for deeper things, right? Okay, okay. And those deeper things are uh, constantly, incessantly repeating the words grace and sovereign and covenant. And so at this point, what you do is you use the word covenant as if it's a lollipop that is such a delicacy in your, well, you know, you don't understand God's covenant. You know, and we relish it. It's like a cream puff. Once you understand God's covenant, you know, then you're among the cognoscenti, those who are in the know. All right? But God is sovereign. Well, what about the providence of God? Now, I'm not making fun of the providence of God or God's covenants or God's sovereignty. What I'm saying is that the way we talk about them and the way we act is superficial, and it's the way we signal people that we've moved from Levi Jean dresses and long hair up past wine and communion to the higher, higher level of covenant sovereignty and providence. Are you all with me? And you're still stuck at the issue of superficial petty morality. Because the world is filled with reformed people who talk about providence and sovereignty and covenant. And by the way, if you want to know what covenant means, can I give you a hint? It just means contract. But you don't want to say contract in a church with reformed people because they'll think that you've just cheapened it. And so always say covenant, don't ever say contract. But when you're trying to understand it, just think contract, okay? You know, it's kind of like in church, we don't ever say rebellion, we say he was contumacious, you know? And it just feels so much more spiritual to say somebody's contumacious than say he's a rebel, (laughs) you know? And of course, that in itself is that superficial way that we establish our superiority to other people. We don't say rebellion, we say contumacious. And so, as Reformed Christians, what we do is we talk about God's covenants and we say that God's covenants extend to the New Testament. And that God's covenant promises extend to believers. All right? And we point to the Philippian jailer and what God said to the Philippian jailer through the Apostle Paul. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And as we raise our children, we know we're not Jews, but we also know that God promises that he'll be a God to our children. In the New Testament, we know that. Right? And so we say that we are rightly those who inherit the promises that God made to Abraham. And we think of God saying in Genesis seventeen seven to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Did you hear me? I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And we say, oh, thank you. I needed that because motherhood is hard. And somebody says, oh, that's for the Old Testament. He's just talking about the land. And then we realize he said to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And we say, "No, no, no. it's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament too." All right? And that gives us comfort as we raise our children. OK? And so we begin to talk about God's what? God's covenant. And we use that word assuring ourselves and our wives that our children will be saved. That they'll be regenerated. That they are gods. Now at this point, some of you are credo-baptists. And so you'll say, no, I don't say that. And this is, this is something I've had to say over and over again to you people. I'm not a credo, I'm a pedo. And I keep saying to you, Ukraine, you say this just as much as Pedos say it. You say, no, I don't. I don't just assume my children are saved. And I say, okay, if your child dies, what do you want me to say at the funeral of your child? Well, say say that he's in heaven. And I say, on what basis? And you go, blah, 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 blah. Because you don't want to have to say what you're thinking, which is, well, God said he'd be a God to me and my family. You know? And of course, I don't make you acknowledge that because that would be ungentlemanly. And even though you don't think I am, I actually am a gentleman. (laughs) Okay? So don't you tell me that you don't claim God's promises for your children. You treat your children as if they belong to God, all of you. And so let's not get hung up over baptism. All of us in this church have our children pray when we pray. None of us say to our children, now listen, I want you to pray, but I don't want you, don't you close your eyes. You can close your eyes, but you can't close your eyes, (laughs) you know. (laughs) It's ridiculous, you know. We're not going around going, he loves God, not, he loves God. He loves him, not, he loves him, he loves him, and then you're the one that doesn't, you know? We don't do that, do we? All of us together plead with God to be a God to our children, and all of us plead the covenant promises of Scripture. It's in our DNA. I'm not arguing that you should baptize your children if you're Credo Baptist. I'm simply saying that all of us know in our hearts that God has always been favorably disposed and made promises to the children of his people. I think it's inarguable. This is precisely the way the Jews were at the time of Jesus. This is exactly the way they saw their children. This is exactly the way they saw themselves. This is exactly why the apostle, I mean not the apostle, but John the Baptist had the confrontation he had with the most intense of the Jewish leaders of his time. And we find it recorded in Matthew 3. When he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, he's a good shepherd, and he knows what they're thinking immediately. And so he says immediately... And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just perfect. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is he saying about the axe? He's saying, don't you tell me you're a Jew. Don't you tell me you're Israel. God can make Jews and Israelites out of these stones. The axe is at, it's at, it's at the trunk of the tree. And what he's saying is God's about to cut you Jews down, us, because he was a Jew. God's going to just cut, cut it off. You're not bearing fruit. Cut it down. Cut it down. He'd already given them a second and third chance through Jeremiah and Hosea and Micah and Naaman and Bacchus. He'd, he'd, he'd fertilized the soil, he'd watered, he'd pruned. He'd done everything he could to Israel. Now, you don't want to say what God can and can't do. And it was not bearing fruit. And so John the Baptist comes along, and John the Baptist says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, because the ax is at the root. And don't you tell me that you're children of Abraham. God can make children of Abraham. God can make, make Israelites out of the stones on the ground. Okay, right? And so it shouldn't be hard at all for us to translate that to us. Right? We're Christians. We're baptized. Our children prayed the sinner's prayer in Sunday school or, you know, on the back porch, right? Come on, we're your people. Come on. Jesus had the same experience. We read that the religious leaders said to Jesus... John chapter 8, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, Jesus, say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. And so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. I know you're Jews. I know you're Israelites. I know that. And yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. My father, your father. <laughs> and this is the place in the Gospels that if I knew it was coming, I would as run as fast as I could to leave the scene before this happened. Because what does he do? Well, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. And then do you remember who he says is their father? He says, Your father is the devil. Your father is the devil. Now, was Abraham their father? Yes. Was Abraham their father? No. Were they Jews? Yes. Were they Jews? No. Were they Israel? Yes. Were they Israel? No. Were they circumcised? Yes. Were they circumcised? No. Are you baptized? Yes. Are you baptized? No. This is the way words work. But we want to play stupid as if words can't have two meanings. And so we force God to deal with our children without making allowance for the fact that they can be our children and not our children. Are you with me? And you say, well, no, they're always our children. And I say, no, they're not always your children. Because here's what Paul wrote. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. And the word descended is, is understood, so it's in italics, so it's inserted. It's not there. They're not all Israel who are Israel. And then he says, nor are they all children because they're Abraham's descendants. Not all Israel because they're Israel. Not all children because they're descendants. Okay, you all with me? And that word descendants here, not all descendants, not all children, technon, Greek. And what is that word descendants? Well, it's not descendants. The word is sperm. And so what he's saying is they're not all children because they're Abraham's sperm. And you say, oh, I, I can't believe you said that. And I say, well, that is actually the word in Greek. It's sperm. Sperm. That's where we get the word sperm, and it means seed. And so sperm is the seed that the man contributes to the birth of a child. And so the promise comes through the male of the species, just as the curse came through the male of the species. And so what matters is, are you of the sperm of Abraham? And so all the Jews and all the Israelites were of the sperm of Abraham, but not all of them were the children of Abraham. You all with me? And all I've done is tell you what it literally says. Now, what was going on that he said these things? Because you know that he didn't say these things because he thought it would be so encouraging to the mothers in the audience. Right? No mother wants to hear that not all your children are your children, right? No mother wants to hear that, right? Right? I mean, come on. Can I get a yes from any woman here who's a mother? Okay, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So why is the Apostle Paul saying it? Well, you have the answer in the first beginning of this text. He says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. And so the reason he's saying this is he's being accused of Having caused the word of God to fail, in what way did the word of God fail? Well, God promised Abraham that He would be an everlasting covenant, and that it would extend to every to a thousand generations. Okay, and what's going on in the church is that the Jews killed their Messiah, and now it's the church is being filled with Gentiles, and so it's evident to everybody that somehow. God has moved on. Either that or the Apostle Paul and the whole church thing is contradicting the promises of God, the word of God. And he says, no, actually it's not as though the word, so what does he have to do? Well, what he has to do is he has to establish that it has always been part of God's covenant that not all Israel is Israel, that not all Jews are Jews, that not all the circumcised are circumcised. And how do you think that he's going to prove that? It's not sufficient for him to say what's going on in the church. They all see it. You know, they're all sitting there looking and saying, who are all these Johnny-come-latelys here? You know? They haven't had to do the things we had to do. We're charter members. We're the ones that gave the money that built this church. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And who do these people think they are? They flounce in here like they belong and they haven't given the money. You know? They weren't here at the beginning, you know. Their father isn't Abraham, you know, and they haven't been they haven't even been serapized, you know. Burp, 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 burp. So uh, where does the word, where does the expression Johnny come lately come from, right? You've all heard it, right? But you've never really thought about it, right? I had never really thought about it until there was this dude in my, this older man in, my, in one of my churches up in Wisconsin. And we started having new people come to the Lord, you know, and it infuriated him. And he was just angry, angry they were there, angry they... uh, And then they had the audacity to become members. And then they had the audacity to vote in a congregational meeting, you know. And he came to me and he was furious and he referred to all of them, all these Johnny-come-latelys, you know. And so I'm channeling him as I'm talking to you because that's exactly what was going on. On the part of the Jews with the Gentiles in the church. Who are these Johnny come latelys? What right do they have to come flouncing in here and act like they belong? You know, they weren't there in Abraham's body. They haven't received the covenant succession promises, you know. And so they said they've got to be circumcised because if you want to humiliate a man, A man, not a boy, not an infant, a man, circumcise him. I mean, there's no better way of outing that he ain't nothing than to require that of him, you know, right? Can can you give me any love, men? Okay, all right. Think about this it wasn't masks, they're humiliating. It was circumcision. And all the Jews were saying, nope, 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 you have to become a Jew. You've got to be circumcised because, of course, that's how proselytes actually became Jews is the final step was they were circumcised. And they say, if this doesn't happen, then uh, God's word has failed. Are you all with me? And so the Apostle Paul says, no, it's not like God's word has failed. And then he says, for they are not all Israel who are from Israel, nor are they all children because they're Abraham's sperm. Okay. So preparing to preach... I was thinking about the intensity of our desire for our children to have faith in God, okay? I was thinking about the the unrelievable agony of having children who have no godliness and no fear of God. In other words, I was thinking of how intensely on a personal level, a familial level, this controversy works out because, you know, you can look at Galatia and the controversy there, you look at Antioch, the controversy there, you look at Rome, the controversy there, and it's in the church and it's about circumcision and you can have a little bit of objectivity and distance about it, you know, but when it comes to your children, there's no objectivity and there's no distance because mothers will look at every single action of their children and ask herself, is God working in him? Is God working in her? Because ultimately, we really don't care if they live or die. Now, what we really care about is whether they live eternally. A mother's love doesn't begin until that dwarfs everything else. And so, of course, we're going to fasten on anything we can to reassure ourselves that our children are saved. And fathers actually, believe it or not, are the same. They just hide it better. And so this is a hard truth. Yes, God has made covenant promises. Yes, those promises are to a thousand generations. No, his word does not fail. But, Not all Israel is Israel. Not all Jews are Jews. Not all circumcision is circumcision. And not all baptism is baptism. Two things and I'll be done. Number one. After many years of being a pastor, working with elders... I can tell you there are two kinds of people in church. There are those who just decide to heck with it. They'll keep coming. They'll keep being members. They'll keep claiming they're Christians. But they give up on God, and they make their family absolute. They're confronted with a child who is coldly legalistically circumspect but unredeemed. And it's obvious to them that this son is proud and will not bow the knee to God. They have a daughter who is in a lesbian marriage and, 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 and they do not cut her off from their home. They have a son who defies God and they continue to let him live at home. They have a child who's into heroin. They have a son who's 40 and commits adultery again and again. They have an idolater who lives for money. I don't care what the sin is. It can be a clean sin. It can be a dirty public sin. But they see their child for who their child is, and they blur the distinctions. And they act as if the child is a Christian. That's one kind of parent. That's most parents. They choose their children and their blood over God. And they live hypocritically. They know the truth. But they lie about it, they act as if it isn't the truth, they try to blur it, they get angry if anybody brings it up. They don't talk about their children. There's another kind of parent, and that parent, when they have a child that comes to them, as we had in in one of our elders' families recently, and says, I'm sorry, Pop, but I don't believe. And that father cries, he cries with his wife, he pleads with the son, he does everything he can with that son. And after a couple of weeks, he goes to his son and he says, All right, I'm sorry, but you have chosen. And so you now must leave my home. And he dignifies the condition of his son's soul with a commensurate discipline. And what that father is saying to that son is, the fatherhood of God trumps my fatherhood, okay? I am a son of God before I am a father to a reprobate. And I can't have both. I can't be your father and God's son. And so, I'm sorry, I love you, you're my son, and you are not my son. You're Israel, but you're not Israel. You're you're a Jew, but you're not a Jew. You're circumcised, but you're not circumcised. You're baptized, but you're not baptized. You're my son. You are no longer my son. And he doesn't do it because his son has embarrassed him and he's angry. It kills him to do it. He does it because God always comes first. And he does it because he knows that is always how he's lived and his son needs to see that right now. (laughs) And there are two kinds of churches in America. There are churches that understand that and live it and there are churches that deny it. And the churches that deny it, uh, what's the word written over the church? Come on. Ichabod is written over those churches. Okay? The only churches that honor God are the churches that choose His fatherhood before human fatherhood. Churches where the work of the Spirit trumps the work of the flesh. One last thing, I'm done. So as I was preparing to preach and thinking about how we all process the issue of the spiritual condition of our children, okay, I was remembering my cousin John, who was an attorney and worked for the chief justice as a clerk in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And John honored God. And one time he was out here and he told me about a man who was also an attorney in that Uh, for that judge, and he could not stand that attorney. He couldn't stand him. And he was explaining to me what a destroyer this man, that it was very character to destroy things. And he was looking for something to describe it to me. He said, well, let me give you an example. He said, one of the oldest principles in law, and I have to read this in Latin, okay, He said, one of the oldest principles in law is pater es quem nuptia demonstrant. All right. In common English, what they say is, uh, the father is he whom the marriage points to. And it is one of the foundational principles of Western law. And it's the principle that you can't question the legitimacy of a child born in a marriage. That you have to assume that child belongs to that father. The father is whoever the marriage points to as a father. By marriage, you're the father. Now, you all know that it could be the child of some next-door neighbor, right? it doesn't matter in law, presumption of legitimacy. Okay? This is a fundamental principle of English common law, and if you read Blackstone's commentary, he says children are of two sorts, legitimate and spurious or bastards. And the law has to delineate between legitimate children and bastards. Because with legitimacy comes, for instance, inheritance. As a matter of fact, in English common law, if a parent didn't take care of their child, they were under the discipline of the court. Even so much as when that parent died, if the will was found to have uh, removed legitimate children from inheritance... It was common for the court to declare the father to be insane. Isn't that weird? The one who, and I read a bunch of Blackstone, the one who brings life to a human being has an obligation until death to take good care of that child. And so there's a presumption of legitimacy. Now, does that mean that every child born in a marriage is legitimate? And the answer is, what? Yes! It's a foundational principle of law. And no! There's a lot of adultery. Now, how does that work? It works the same way you as children and you as parents work in a church. Your children are children of the covenant. And we give them the benefit of discipline. Because they're in the covenant. Because they've been baptized, dedicated. Because they have been among us from the time they were born. Does that mean that they're all Christians? Well, you could understand me saying, hold on, don't get upset. You could understand me saying, well, in a certain sense, yes, but no. You all with me? No fighting over this. We understand it when it comes to the assumption of legitimacy, it's been one of the most foundational principles of law for centuries. We understand why it's important that children in a home be considered legitimate. Okay? We have brought children into our homes, and and many men. I got a, a text yesterday from a woman who said, I found out when I was young that my father was not my father, that he had adopted me. And she said, I can't bear the thought that, I can't bear the thought that your brother was not my father. Okay, I'm getting personal here. And she said, now I have a child. And she, well, and she said, I don't want this child to think that her father is not her father. Because this child loves her father, but he's not her father. Are you all with me? You understand what I'm trying to say? Well, of course he's her father. But is he her father's seed. Well, now, listen, all through our lives, we have fathers who are not our fathers. And we have children who are not our children. And sometimes those children are blood-related to us, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's because of adoption. Sometimes it's because they defy our father, and they're fully our blood. And we say to them, I belong to God, you do not, and you are no longer my son's son. You're a son, but you're not my son's son. Okay, we'll come back to this again. Let's close worship, if the band could come.